When I'm not hosting this podcast, I am writing books, but it is really hard for me to write when I'm at home, so I like to find remote cabins in the middle of nowhere to just hang out and write. But I hate the idea of my house just sitting empty, doing nothing but collecting dust and definitely not collecting checks. And that's why I'm an Airbnb host. It's one of my all-time favorite side hustles. Other popular side hustles are awesome too, don't get me wrong, but they often involve big startup costs. By hosting your space, you're monetizing what you already have access to. It doesn't get easier than that. And if you're new to the side hustle game and you're anxious about getting started, don't worry because you're not in this alone. Airbnb makes it super easy to host. I mean, if I could do it, you could do it. And your home might be worth a lot more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host. I'm Nicole Lappin, the only financial expert you don't need a dictionary to understand. It's time for some money rehab. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that I got the script flipped on me. I was interviewed by Nellie Galland for her MNN podcast, Moneymaker, or in Spanish, Mi Mundo Rico. I told you that I would share the episode when it was ready, so here it is, dropping today. And here is the plot twist. In this conversation, Nellie and I talk about what it was like growing up with immigrant parents and how our families didn't trust the financial system. We talk about how a little distrust of the financial system is actually pretty healthy. It makes you want to have your own back and do the work of making sure your finances are protected. Little did we know that just weeks later, there would be a breakdown of the banking system in the U.S., it's kind of spooky to listen back to this conversation, but in my mind, it just reaffirms that this self-reliant mindset is more important now than ever. Here it is. So the episode you're about to hear is something that I recorded a couple of weeks ago. And in this recording, I'm going to tell you that I come from a country where there was a bank collapse and it changed my life forever. And my parents lost all their money and we moved to the United States, which is, was the beginning of my journey and my entrepreneurial life. And in that recording, I also said, you know, many of you don't believe that something like that could happen to you. And yet we have to prepare for these things. And we have to think very in a very grounded way of what could happen in the worst case scenario in our country. Well, who knew? that after I recorded that, that in fact, we were gonna have a similar problem in the United States. Many of you by now have heard that Silicon Bank had a bit of a collapse, uh, that the government has stepped in and has had, this whole thing has had a ripple effect on all banks in America, and Biden had to come in and sort of guarantee people's money across the country so that we would not have mass craziness going on. So. The story you're about to hear is more important than ever because the things we don't believe could happen maybe could happen to all of us. Welcome to Moneymaker, the podcast that gives you the tools to enrich your life in every sense of the word. I'm your host, Nelly Galan. Let's get started. So excited to be here with Nicole Lappin financial guru, expert, best-selling author, and my nueva jefa, <laughs> my new boss, founder of Money News Network. And, you know, I have to say, in Spanish, we have a great word for you, chingona. <laughs> chingona. Do you know what that means? 
it's like kick-ass woman. It's like yes, your boss bitch. It's like right. your rich bitch. I want the lower third. Nicole Lappin. <laughs> Chingona. And you are. I mean. You are. You no. Know, well, let me just tell you. I, I, I feel like mini me. I look at myself and I see you and I see you with your own network. And I'm so, first of all, I'm proud. Thank you. As only an older woman can Fast be prouder yes. of a younger woman because I always tell younger women, why don't you pursue older women? We have, you know, we only want to help you. Mama, I and slipped you into your me. DMs. How did I find you? You found me, man. You found me. And I thought it was so great. And I'm just so proud of you and so proud of this network. And as I tell everybody, I am betting on this horse because you are exceptional. Thank you. And you know what? I'm excited that we're going to talk today because this is a beginning of a new moment in money and in our lives and how better to start them with a little therapy money therapy you know i have a doctorate in clinical psychology and i went deep into studying the psychology of money because nicole it's so much my pain and the pain of all the women that are that are minorities in this country and i know first generation women and and i know you have a lot of pain related to this as well uh being an american a first generation american and I want to talk about, I want us to like, let it rip. Yes. Why? First of all, you and I are good at money. Why? Because it's our pain. It is. I think that we're drawn to the things that hurt us most, if we're really, really honest with ourselves. And I think we all have financial trauma. We do. We do. And it's only when you confront it and you let those demons speak that you can not only take control of them, but use what you think is your weakness, because that's what I thought it was. I thought my trauma was my weakness. It would be the thing that brought me down, but it actually was my superpower. That's true. And you know what? It's so great to hear it from you. And I want to hear what that is for you, because as a Latina, you know, that the, my parents came from a communist regime of Cuba and lost every, literally lost everything. And we came to this country and I had to start by being their everything, their therapist, their translator, and then their money their maker. Money maker. Their money we maker. found this out together. I know. I mean, you're the one that came up with the name money maker. And it's because my mother called me her money maker because immigrant kids, that's what we become. And when I think of all the immigrants in this country, but you know, when I look at someone like you, this is why I want to hear from you. I don't think a girl that looks like you has this trauma and it's good for people to hear that it's not where where we come from alone or our back but it's our backstory. Yeah. So do you want to tell me a little bit about it? I want to tell you all about it. <laughs> and oftentimes I've heard you look so put together. Right. But on the inside I never felt as put together as I looked and I grew up in an immigrant family. So first generation American, both my parents immigrated from Israel. They broke both grew up on a kibbutz, so kibbutzim, which is like, you know, like a communist community That's right, in it some is. senses Socialist, they work huh? for their keep. They were both orphans there. And growing up, I dealt with this idea that we only use cash. You don't talk about debt right? Sister, cash. And I think there's so many similarities. It doesn't matter what country your family comes from, but when you're first generation, you still are dealing with some of the old ways and trying to assimilate them together. So my family, we grew up outside of Los Angeles. My parents divorced when I was three. There was a crazy divorce trial that was all over the Orange County Register and the LA Times. My mother actually kidnapped me when I was three, changed my name, and, and then end up going to jail. I had monitored visitation with her. Wow. 
And I lived with my father until he died of a drug overdose when I was 11. And then, and then I ended up living with my mother, who had some not so great dealings with money. She was arrested actually uh, at the supermarket when I was in middle school, and I ended up bailing her out of jail with uh, cash, like green cash that was still under the sink in the bathroom behind the maxi pad. Oh my God. And I'll never forget, you know, I was in my preteens. I had to go home and like follow these instructions to get this cash out of the safe and put it in a bag and go to jail and like bail her out with it. And these were some of my first memories with money and and it was all traumatic. You know, I, I relate so much to you and I, and I know that when you have these things happen to you, your obsession in life is to have control and to also never let that happen to you ever again, right? It's yes. like, so so you kind of, it forces you to figure it out. So how did you figure it out? How did you go from that? Because I also want people to hear, look, it's fixable. We both have, you know, have really done great things with that trauma. So how did you take that trauma and take yourself out of it, out of that situation? Yeah, I think I didn't prescribe drugs or alcohol for myself to hide from that, but I prescribed work. And so I hid in work and I, you know, could have gone the other direction. I could have, you know, had my life fall apart and blame it on these circumstances, but I went the other way. And there's a danger to that too. But I knew that the way it was for me didn't need to be my future circumstance and that only I was in control of that. And by the way, I tell this story after years of work and of course, therapy, therapy and all of it. We can't just say it's so not calmly. When, when you're living it, you're, it's like your shame and you, you're sweeping it under the rug. But the only way through things is through things, right? right? And also Doing sharing yeah. and knowing that other people have it too. One of the things I think is very interesting about both of us um, and is that a lot of people think, I want to be a millionaire because they want to buy bling. They want to have the car and the this, but you and I are very opposite of that. We're not grandiose, right? So we have a reason for wanting to make money and to and for being successful, and it's almost something greater than ourselves. Can you talk about that? I think there's also this irrational fear. So once you know what the hungry days are like, there were times growing up that I was told only flush the toilet when it's number two to save on water or things like that, and I no matter how much is in my bank account, like I have this irrational fear of being poor again or being homeless. Um, you know, my mother lived in her car for a while in her Pinto growing up. And so I, I, I'm so scared of those hungry days. And so I have quickly learned that I'll only have my own back at the end of the day. And, you know, confronting these traumas is the way to not only overcome them, but to win. Because I, you were, I was dealt a shitty hand. You were dealt a shitty hand. You played the best you could. And, you know, failure wasn't an option. There was no, like, couch to go back to if I failed. And even, you know, going to college, I thought that was my ticket out. I went to Northwestern. My mother barely made it out of um, high school in Israel. And so nobody helped me with these college applications, like the FAFSA and the, you know, student aid stuff. Hey. Like, I, I didn't know how to fill out any of these applications. And I figured it out. I got into a bunch of Ivy League schools. Like, I don't know. I... I don't hate the kids that had a trust fund and had help, but I don't know what that was like. Well, you know, I, I relate to you so much because I didn't even go to college till years later. I think, you know, I always say to women, 
and, and to men, I say, don't feel bad that your life is an obstacle course. You know, I remember reading Lean In. And, you know, and I've, I've, I've spoken at Facebook many times and I've worked with our friend that wrote Lean In. And, but I remember reading it. And even though I was very proud of her because she was putting something out, I felt like it didn't relate to me. And I told her that. I said, yeah. you know, so many of us haven't had a linear life where you get to go to an Ivy League school and come out and have three nice jobs and become a billionaire. And for the rest of us, it's really like, you know, an obstacle course. I think that for for those people, uh, you know, we're so blessed because we can give them the tools to get there and it is possible to get there. Um, So I want to talk about that because I know so many people listening feel that pain of crossing the border or coming from another country or having parents that had no money or having parents that were irresponsible or that, that took drugs or that disappeared or whatever. And they're like, how can I possibly climb this mountain? And yet you did. So how did you do it? I mean, with no money, no. And, and I listen, I always say this too. My, when I hear stories of also uh, Jewish kids that their parents are, were Holocaust survivors, it's the same thing too. It's like the parents don't want to talk about it. It's the elephant in the room. And the kids become the adult. We were the parents. That's right. Let's say it. we were the parents in the relationship. And that is very, very difficult that you really never have a childhood. Yes. How did you climb out yes, of that? Yes, that's exactly right. Uh, I actually sold a memoir when I was at CNN uh, that I ended up getting out of, which is a whole other podcast. But it was a quarter century memoir. It was when I was 25. And it was called Growing Young because it was the first time where I was like, I need to become my age. Like I grew up so fast and I had to be an adult so fast that I never really had that childhood and I started working really young. Um, So there was a little moment of like arrested development. I feel the same way. I feel like when you skip things, I always say this, when you skip periods of your life, graduations, this, that, because you're always trying to get ahead. Then later on, you're like, I never really lived that phase of my life. Yeah. So I, re- I relate to that. And I think so many people relate to hearing that. Yeah, it only comes with a lot of therapy too, to be able to articulate that. You know, studies have shown that women who can create cohesive narratives for themselves and their lives are more likely to be successful. And so when you have a bunch of chaos, if you can articulate it, you're more likely to come out of it. Because there have been studies that have been done at battered women's shelters where they'll just say, ah, it's so crazy. It's so chaotic and like not really be able to talk about it. And that's when the prognosis is, is bleak. But when you can really explain what your story is and say, you know, that happened, it's a combination of compassion and tough love, right? There's compassion for your former self for what she didn't know or your family didn't know, but also there's tough love moving forward. Like it doesn't have to be that way. Well, I think also as a psychologist, you know, one of the things I learned is cognitive behavioral therapy, which Love. is like, which is very action oriented, right? right? So we could sit here and, and like cry all day about what happened to us, or we can take action, right? And there's something, and I say to women, you know, making money is really the first way out of the dark hole. Mm-hmm. Because when we talk about me too, or a bad background or whatever it is, when you have part in the French F you money, Yes. You don't put up with a bad man or a bad boss or a bad situation. And when people are trapped in bad situations like our families were, desperate people do desperate things. And the last thing we ever want to be is desperate and and be worried about money, right? So let's talk about how you did that exactly and what real things we can tell people they can do. First of all, 
the, the way that you're frugal that, you know, I tell women, you have to start, you have to make money and you have to save money. And you obviously did that. Well, so I never had a credit card or debit card or, or my family didn't really either. And so once I got my first big job, I got a credit card out of defiance and I racked up a bunch of debt and then, you know, I had to get out of it the hard way and I still had cash under my sink because that's like how I was raised. So it was this, you know, push pull of the mores and the, the values good and bad that I learned and also like coming into my own. And so I overcompensated and I was always really scared of talking about that, especially being a, a money person because I thought, gosh, like the, the sins of the father or the mother, like are they bestowed on you? And I was like, no, I actually didn't do anything wrong. And the, the best way to confront any fear of somebody finding you out is to own it first. And so I realized that some of the frugality was actually a good lef- lesson in money, but I rejected it for so long. And so I think that you know, it's natural for any kids to reject what they've seen and try to find their own way. But then you realize like some of those things actually were le- lessons. I don't think everything should be in cash, but there's some merit to having savings and cash there. And so it's a balance that you find on your own. That's right. Hold on. Moneymaker will be right back. Let's get back to the show. So in this process for you, what have you, like, let's talk about what we can really tell people out there that are in this boat where they're like, how do I come out of this and how do I change my life completely? What are the lessons you've learned in money that are just, and and you've met so many, you've met everybody. So you have a lot of experience, not just your own, but listening to other people. What would you say? Let's start step by step. How would we tell somebody that's like us to step out of the situation? You know, I think especially for first generation Americans, like the highs and lows of it, right? Um, You have cultural differences no matter where you come from. Um, You know, I had my, my dishwasher was never used. I find that this is actually a common thread with other first generation Americans. Like it was full of plastic bags from the market or like old containers that you would reuse. We had Sal Khan on Money Rehab from Khan Academy and he talked about like reusing the paper towels growing up, like washing oh, and reusing them. But right? I think, but I think you we were late green to this. before green was right. like we save things. And <laughs> we re- right. I hate throwing away anything because I feel like somebody else could use it. Yeah. Most Latinos and minorities, I don't know, I don't think the the banking system knows this. We don't like banks. Yeah. We don't believe in banks. Why? Because the banks in our countries all collapsed. Mm -hmm. Because whatever money you had in the bank, they kept. And they didn't have to give it back to you. So let's talk about that because I think it sounds, but we have to go to the basics first. I know so many people that have followed me and that read my books that said to me, I do not bank in this country. And that is true of so many countries in the world. So what would you say to those people? Yeah, I mean, my stepmother's family was from Argentina and Paraguay, and their family was in the Holocaust. You know, they took in a lot of Holocaust and the other side too, unfortunately. But, and my boyfriend now is families from Argentina. We were talking about this morning, this idea that, you know, even in Argentina in recent memory in 89 and 2002, this Coralitos like run on the bank happened where money was not safe. And that's not a thing that's really uh, palatable for Americans. Like, what do you mean your money is not safe in the bank? That's that's not possible. Americans don't believe that, but it could happen. 
So what do we say to people so that they feel more comfortable? Because the problem with so many people is they're not engaged in the financial system in the United States at all. They don't understand it. They're living a parallel life. And so we have to explain that, you know, yes, there is, there's only so much money that's guaranteed in the bank, but we have to engage in the banking system if we want to have businesses and we want to like live in this country properly. The only financial concept I was very aware of growing up was this FDIC insurance. Yeah. I was told like it only insures up to this amount. Like that's the maximum amount you can put in because otherwise it's not insured. And I don't think that's a concept that, you know, Americans uh, whose family, you know, has been here for generations really thinks a lot about because it's not something that has happened in recent memory. Yes, there was a financial crisis, which was the first time we were confronted with this. But like the run on the bank idea or the devaluation of the peso or like taking money out of your bank account. What nobody understands about people that are in this country is that the money has been taken away, that it has happened, that we have an entitled first world point of view, that it's not possible that it could ever happen again. It could happen. Uh, it's un I mean, yes, the United States is the first world. And if this country falls apart, the rest of the world will topple. So it's unlikely, but it is a fear that is not unjustified, is what and, I'm saying. And I think we should have compassion for that, right? Like mm -hmm. I studied DBT too. It's one of the best things that dialectical behavioral therapy along with CBT, I think is so important. Not only like mental health is all health, right? Like financial health, it's all connected. I think the biggest enemy with finances is often between our ears. So we have to have compassion for that idea. Like our families didn't trust banks. Let's not hate them. Like, let's just understand them. Right. Like that's, that's valid. That's a valid concern. Maybe it's not something that we understand as, you know, Americans now, but it's something that is valid and, and theirs, and, and we work from there. But I think when you have people that have come here for the specific reason to have a better life and to really be able to build something that in their countries of origin they couldn't, we do have to onboard them into financial literacy yes. here. It's something we have to work on on a daily basis. Yeah, and you know, and we have this great platform now that we can talk to financial services companies and institutions and say, like, this is a dialogue we should be having. You shouldn't say you're stupid, you know, because you distrust us. That's that's bananas. No, it's not bananas. Like, start from there. We get the fear. We we get that this has happened in other areas, and this is why there's insurance or FDIC insurance, and this is why you know we were safeguarded from it happening here. And you don't. Have have to put all of your cash under the sink behind the maxi pads or under your mattress or something like that. And that's not the best place to, you know, have financial abundance, right? You can't have all of your cash under the sink. And also a lot of people that come from other places don't want to invest and they don't realize that's the secret sauce of this country is if you don't make money, save money and invest the money, you're not going to get to that place that you imagined. Can you talk a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, the biggest fear, right, is that they're going to lose money. But you're losing money by putting your money in cash under your mattress by inflation. Inflation right now is growing in higher levels than it has been for uh, a long time. But typically, it's 3%, right? So you're losing 3% by doing nothing. And so when there's this fear of like, well, what if I lose it? Right? There's always that fear, but there you're losing fear. it right now. You're losing your purchasing power right now. And so these instruments like can feel really scary. Debt, by the way, we can talk about buildings. Like mm -hmm. 
leverage and debt, if used responsibly, can be an amazing financial tool. But there's this idea of like, you don't have it, you don't buy it. Like that's how I was raised. Like you don't have money for a house, you don't buy it. You don't buy it in cash. Like what do you mean interest? Like what a mortgage? No, you don't have money for a car. You don't buy a car. Period. The end. That's right. Cash system, but it it actually is a mistake. Yeah, I mean it can be used responsibly. There's good debt and bad debt, right? But it's not all bad debt. It's like fat, right? There's good fat and bad fat. You can eat avocados. You don't want to gorge on them all day long, but it's good fat compared to French fries. And so I think there's that differentiation. Well, right now I'm hearing from a lot of first generation and second generation Americans, is the world coming to an end? Is this the worst that it's ever been? Is this country going to implode? It does feel that way sometimes. So for women like us that have a lot of fear-based stuff. Mm-hmm. What do you think about all that? You speak to everyone in the finance world. What are you feeling? Are you feeling okay about everything? I am feeling okay because the statistics and the reason that we started this network is because not only is there fear, you know, 77% of Americans are more anxious than they were. They're scared about their money, you know, first generation or not. There's a lot of fear. There are a lot of recessionary fears, but also, you know, yes, and there's more first-time investors than uh, than there have been. There are more brokerages open by first-time investors. There's this sense of optimism amidst this chaos, right? And so I think that's really encouraging. I think that taking control, this idea of of taking control beyond whatever macro fears are out there is really exciting in a way that I don't think we saw in the last recession. You know, I left CNBC and and big networks and, and tried to reach younger women in the last recession. And recessions, you can reframe it, right? can look at it as scary times, and they are in a lot of ways, but they're also opportunities, right? right? Those are the times that great fortunes can be made. Things are on sale. We love sales, Nellie. They think, you know, when the stock market goes down, you can look at it as like this group think, like so scary, let's take all our money out, you know, put it under our mattress. Or you can say like, if I had cash on the sidelines, stuff is on sale. Good companies are on sale. Maybe, you know, some companies that are down should be down for other reasons. But fundamentally strong companies are on sale. And those are the times historically that great fortunes have been so made. So I think what you're saying is we have to go back to really being history buffs and understanding that sometimes we have to do take do our behavior opposite mm-hmm. of our fear, not yep. toward our fear. And realize that it, you're right. If you look at any any history of any country in the worst moments is when people have made the most money if they have some money saved or if they have some money. So, you know, I, you know, I always say to women, don't buy shoes, buy buildings. And I've had an incredible run as a real estate investor myself, but the last two, two or three years have been horrific. I'm in a state that's very taxed. The, the laws are against landlords. Uh, I've had a very difficult time. And everybody says to me, aren't you, don't you think you should just get rid of everything? And I go, no, no, because, you know, I I think also people think money should just come so easily. It doesn't. Everything's hard work. But in this moment is not the time to bail because you have to go against your fear. Yeah. And so what should we be saying to, to people? It is difficult times. Things are bad, but. But you've done hard things as far as like the intersection of psychology and money. You know, I love that shaded part of that Venn diagram. And I think it's really helpful, like this idea of stoicism, right? And I see that in the Uber driver stories you talk about, because you fast forward the tape and if 
there's a recession, if you lose your job, if God forbid somebody's sick and they can't make money, you will figure it out. Like it will be okay. You'll live with a friend. You'll work, you'll drive an Uber. Like I often think about that too. I have irrational fears still to this day. And you know, it's, it's part of what drives me. And so I, I have to listen to those fears and it's made me who I am today. So I have to treat them as superpowers. And so thinking about like, okay, well, let's say, uh, all of the shows, God forbid fail, which they won't obviously like, let's say the bank takes all of my money from my account, whatever. Let's say they just seize everything. I don't know. Yeah. All these crazy you, fears you that have we have, that. like, the, the tax IRS is going to come and arrest me. I don't know. I've had the weirdest fears, irrational fears. Like I know better, but it's going to be okay. And I'll figure it out. And if they, you know, I, if I get dropped in China to manage a restaurant or to learn, you know, I'll figure it out because I figured it out before. I mean, I can go on and on and do a whole episode about what I love about you and what you stand for, but you also put your money where your mouth is and you help women or you help, you know, anyone who's confused about SBA stuff, all these acronyms, right? Like the, the financial system is full of this jargon stuff. And I think that's what keeps people out of the system. But you break it down because, you know, there, it's a combination for first generations or any immigrants uh, who are confused about cultural norms and mores around uh, finances, this idea of trust or distrust, and also these institutions that are weird and confusing and have names like FAFSA, 401k, SBA, like... Oh my gosh, you can be really overwhelmed just by well, the there system. Well, there is a barrier to entry for everybody. And I think, you know, I always say there there is so much hidden money in America because there's all kinds of grants and this and that and, and government programs. And I, and I always say, you know, like I, I don't understand why people don't buy cars or appliances when there's a government incentive. You know, there's federal government incentives and state incentives and they're coupons. But that's not like, happening. Why wouldn't you use a coupon to go to like the supermarket? It. You know, why are you paying retail? I think it is like like learning to kind of hunt for that stuff and not look at it as it's like a, such a big barrier. It's like, yeah, there's a loophole because they don't want every single person to know at, at once. But if you really kind of go there, there are more opportunities than in any other country in the world to get whatever you want and to buy a house and to, to buy this and buy that with a coupon. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not handed to you. It's not easy, but you've also done really difficult things. I mean, think about the the story of the immigrants coming here in treacherous ways, like, and the FAFSA is going to stand in your way? Come on. Like, yeah, it's not easy, or the SBA loans, or, you know, other it's easier. It's easier than in most of our countries. That's right. Like, Cuba's not giving you any incentives. Heck no. Right? So, yes, it's hard, but also... You're equipped to do hard things. I also look at all of these immigrants that are arriving right now that are highly educated. I think everybody thinks all immigrants in America are economic immigrants, and they get scared too. Americans get scared. They're taking my job. They don't realize a lot of these people are, you know, political refugees that come here that are highly educated and that are driving Ubers while they become a doctor or where, you know, they're highly skilled. And also people that really want to give back and that really are patriotic in this country and that all they need is to be onboarded into this country and they they offer so much. So I, I, I want them to hear this too, that, you know, that this is such, this is the American dream is alive here. It's not easy. It's, it's a little harder in this moment, but, you know, your family came from another country and look at you. 
If, if nothing else, and look at you and look at you. No, and look at you. And I love your Uber driver stories. You know, you being in Miami and talking to all these Uber drivers. I like I want to be an Uber driver just so I can pick you up. And, you know and- what? I think that what I've gotten from the Uber drivers, and I think this is from what I'm hearing from you too, is the beautiful thing that you hear from someone who has come here and is a political refugee is they're in a temporary situation. And they almost appreciate it more than maybe once you get used to being here, many young people here don't even appreciate that they have an American citizenship, that they live in the greatest country in the world, that there are so many opportunities. There are problems, and it's not easy. But when you hear these people and they're like, wow, I got here and I'm here and this is temporary. I'm going to make it. And I think we all have to be in that mindset, right? I tell women all the time, I go, you know, you don't think that everything could fall apart and you'd have to go live in China and learn Chinese, but you might. You know, my parents had to leave their country and start all over again and learn a new language and get a whole new degree and everything. So what's to say? You have to think like that, that you are willing and able to do anything and to be self-reliant and self-made, that you have to make yourself over, over and over again and, and, and change and grow and evolve. I mean, look at you. So proud of you. So proud of you. <laughs> chingona. Chingona. Takes a chingona to know a chingona. I know, I Did know. I say it right? Yeah, you, man, you said it with a perfect. Hanging out with Latinos, that <laughs> accent is very, very good. Moneymaker is a production of Money News Network. Moneymaker is written and hosted by me, Nelly Galan. Our executive producer is Morgan Lavoy. Thanks for listening. See you next time.